what will the future look like? In our age of automation, artificial intelligence, and robotics, are we still going to age? Are we still going to be able to progress and have new inventions and innovations? We'll answer these questions and more, finishing up the fourth age. Let's start with the invention of progress. Every single age has some technology that brings about a change, thus redefining every aspect of humanity. For example, in the third age, the most recent age before our current fourth age, the catalyst was writing and the wheel. Those technologies brought about nation states, and once we had nation states, they created written forms of law. And having law uh, required us to have courts to enforce those laws. Inside of those courts, we needed judges and we needed lawyers, so that created more occupations and more work for people to do. And then those, that's just one industry, but those effects continued to compound into second, third, and fourth order ripple effects. The same happened in the second age, working our way backwards. In the second age, the catalyst was agriculture. And with agriculture, we were able to create cities. And when you have cities, you need a way to protect those cities, so you put up walls. And to put up walls, you need workers to put up those walls. And workers, they definitely need to get paid. And once you've got people getting paid for the work they're doing, you need establish the system of taxes so that the, the city can get some of that money. And once you have taxes, you need tax collectors to collect those taxes. These are, again, second, third, and fourth order ripple effects that impact every aspect of society. All the way back to the first age. The catalyst of the first age was language and fire. Once we invented language and fire, it changed how we hunted. It changed the foods we were able to eat because we were able to cook our foods. It even changed the locations of our homes because we were able to set up different uh, setups for our civilizations and we were able to establish more concrete and established homes. Bringing it up to the age that we're in right now, the fourth age. The catalyst in the fourth age is artificial intelligence and robotics and automation. And these are going to increase our productivity, expand human wealth, accelerate the acquisition of knowledge, prolong life, and everything else that we've been discussing in these past couple episodes. Think of one single example. Artificial intelligence is going to change transportation when it delivers on the self-driving cars we've been seeing in the news. Once we have self-driving cars, it may lead people to not owning cars at all because a car just as quickly can come and pick you up whenever you need it, drive off and uh, take you to where you want. And then after it lets you out, it can just drive off. You don't need to worry about parking. You don't need to worry about maintenance on the cars. The car handles itself. And that's just one example. Artificial intelligence is already starting to impact every industry that exists today in ways that we have yet to even imagine. Technology improves human productivity. So as technology continues to advance, human productivity will continue to improve. And with the improvement in human productivity, the quality of our civilization is gonna to continue to improve. But that sword cuts two ways. In addition to helping improve our productivity, uh, the destructive and evil forces are also going to have increased power and productivity. So is this really gonna be a net benefit? Well, technology is actually a neutral force, so it can be used for good or bad purposes. Luckily for us, the vast majority of humans prefer to build than to destroy. And it turns out that most of us collectively building 
we're, we're collectively building significantly faster than the relatively few can destroy. We use, generally speaking, we use technology for good. Take the internet. Sure, there's bad actors and we hear about them all the time, but take a step back and look at the big picture of how two billion people are helping each other. Everywhere you look, there's forums of people posting questions, total strangers taking time out of their busy days to post answers. All over the internet, there are support groups and meetups and useful information and all the product of individuals who are not even given a thin dime for their efforts. The comedian Patton Oswalt, he said it really well. We would not be here today if humanity were inherently evil. We'd have eaten ourselves alive long ago. So when you spot violence or bigotry or intolerance or fear or just garden variety misogyny, hatred or ignorance, look it in the eye and think the good outnumber you and we always will. Moving on, we're going to be able to solve all of our technical problems as technology continues to improve. If a problem is purely technical, that implies it has a technical solution, and we're going to find that solution as technology continues to double its power. In the end, our challenge is going to be to become better people, and technology can help us get there, but only indirectly, and sometimes it can even hurt us. For problems that are purely technical, though, we are going to develop technical solutions. We just came to the conclusion that progress is going to continue in the age of AI and it's going to continue to increase our productivity and it's going to change the world in unimaginable ways. But what does daily life look like? How are the problems that humanity is facing going to be changed in this new age? Let's talk about the three big scourges that impact humanity. Hunger, poverty, and disease. Each of these are technical problems that will be solved. Let's explain that by backing up to the second age. In the second age, agriculture was invented, and at the time, it took 90% of all humans to keep humanity fed. And it was like that for 10,000 years. Even as recent as 1800, it took 80% of the population to feed the entire world. By 1900, it halved to 40% of the U.S. population who was needed to feed the United States. And just 30 years later, it halved again to 20%. The next halving took place only 25 years later, dropping to 10% in 1955. Since then, it's halved two more times, and now just over 2% of our population is required to feed the United States population. That is the power of technology at work. And yet, even though we have all of this abundance, there are still 800 million hungry people in the world, many of whom are children. The fact is, 50% of childhood deaths under the age of 5 are attributable to hunger or malnutrition. This is a purely technical problem. We can feed a hungry person in a developing world for about a quarter a day, meaning that we could feed every single hungry person on the planet for around $70 billion a year, which is the same amount that we spend globally on pet food. So we can feed our pets by spending that $70 billion. We could take that same money and entirely solve world hunger. Planet Earth is actually such a, a, an abundant producer of food that in the United States we grow enough food that's thrown away. We throw away enough food to keep all the hungry people in the world fed. If we were able to redistribute that and instead of throwing it out to feed the hungry population, we'd solve world hunger. So hunger is fundamentally a distribution problem. And while there's no 
single cause of hunger. The biggest cause is poverty. 79% of the world's hungry live in nations that are net exporters of food. Net exporters. So even though there are people in these countries that are starving, they're net exporters. They're exporting more food than they're, than they're importing. The reason that these people in, are hungry in those countries is that the products produced there, they can be sold on the world market much higher cost than what any local citizen is able to pay. So because they can make a higher profit by selling their foods uh, and exporting it, they're going to continue to do that, leaving the people that are growing the food to go hungry. So this brings about a corollary statement that in the modern age, you don't really starve because you don't have any food. You starve because you don't have any money. The answer is going to be to continually lower the cost of food. Bringing it forward, everyone in the future is likely going to be a vegetarian. The reason about that is artificial meats are cheaper, they are tastier than actual meat, they're healthier, and they're even more environmentally friendly. If an artificial steak bleeds like a real one, tastes better than the best steak you've ever had, it's packed with more health and nutrition than an actual steak, and it costs only pennies, who would even buy a real steak? Heck, we can even make artificial steaks look like real steaks. We're already used to meats that don't look like the animal they came from, like hot dogs, hamburgers, and chicken nuggets. And then keeping the traditional shape is just going to be an unpleasant reminder of our more primitive time. We're going to move forward to the point where people are going to look back and they're going to think, wow, humans used to kill and eat animals? How barbaric. The result of this is going to be a massive decline in the populations of cows, pigs, goat, sheep, chicken, and so on. It happened with horses when we stopped using them for transportation, and horses at least have personality. I don't know if any of you have ever had a cow as a pet. Not the most cuddly of animals. Moving over to poverty. Poverty is also a technical problem. AI, robotics, and other technologies are going to create prosperity that's so pervasive, no part of the world is going to be left behind. The average per capita income on the planet Earth right now is $30 a day and a billion people get by on just $2 a day. So what's their path out of poverty? The United Nations has set a goal of having poverty in the next 25 years, and they reached that goal um, five years early. So then they reconvened in 2010 to set a new goal, which is to completely end poverty by 2030. And that's a goal that they actually have a really good shot at reaching. At, at the present time, about 12% of the world lives in poverty or that's just under a billion people worldwide living in poverty. And this group is called the bottom billion. Helping raise them out of poverty and helping them raise themselves out of poverty, it's been a real challenge. Once the United Nations reaches that goal and everybody makes at least that $2 a day, our next goal is gonna be to get everybody to $3 a day, which is a measurably better lifestyle. And then work our way up to $10, which is the present median uh, income of the entire world. That's a really tall order. How are we going to be able to achieve it? The answer is through increased productivity. People working 12 hours a day can't possibly double their income by doubling the number of hours they work. You can't work 24 hours a day. So instead, we have to make each unit of work more productive. And when it's done, this is going to be done through technology by increasing productivity. And by increasing productivity, the poorest parts of the world will be raised out of poverty and they're going to be given the rate of technological growth. Um, the technological growth that we've seen is going to empower all people. 
think about it. For absolutely no cost, the internet is a vast storehouse of knowledge, and it's civilization's greatest gift. It's available to everyone, regardless of where you live in the world. If you have access to the internet, you have access to knowledge. And once you're empowered to take control of the knowledge you have, knowledge is power. Moving on to disease, let's start with the worst disease of all time, which was smallpox. It plagued humanity for 10,000 years, and then in the 20th century, it killed 400 million people. One day we just eliminated it. Edward Jenner, he made a vaccination in the 1790s. Fast forward to today, we can deconstruct pathological foes all the way down to their essence. In the future, we'll have a model, we can model them in computers, try tens of thousands of treatment in a moment's time. On top of that, we have big data. We can study the medical histories not of one, but of innumerable patients battling the same disease, and using that data we can coax out the subtlest bits of information that hold the clues to creating a cure. The combination of artificial intelligence, more data, and sensors getting increasingly cheaper, that combination is incredibly powerful. The days of diseases are numbered, but there are still real challenges. It's, it's just lucky that our most effective medicines like penicillin are incredibly inexpensive. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have treatments like that for hepatitis C, and that currently costs 100,000 bucks a pop. So in many cases, the rich can pay for it, but the poor have to go without. We're far from mastering how to distribute medical care effectively and fairly. One of the key traits of technology is that over time, its power raises while its costs decline. And this is fundamental in our ability to solve disease. In our daily lives, we're going to see an increase in the amount of leisure time. We definitely don't have to work 40 hours like a lot of people do right now, especially if you live in the United States. However, a lot of us continue to work for reasons outside of need base. As a result of that, we're going to start to see more and more people actually acting on the amount of leisure time that they're able to have. With increased leisure time, the question becomes, what are we all working for? Why, why do this? There are 6.6 core attributes that people want, that we truly desire, that we need out of life. The first is that we want to express ourselves. Second, that we want to engage with each other. We also want to help each other. We're creative beings. We want to have an impact on the world. We also want to know the truth. In the future, it's not going to be a need for us to go out and work. It's going to be a want. So as a result, we're going to create work that's built around those six tenets that I just stated. And it's going to redefine how we interact on a daily basis. Humans have a natural fear of death. One of our earliest stories is of Gilgamesh and he is on the search, the quest, for immortality. At the end of his journey, he realizes the futility of his quest, and he finds the plant that is supposed to grant him immortal life at the bottom of an ocean. And just before he's about to pluck it, a snake eats it. Gilgamesh realizes the futility of his quest, and he decides that the only real immortality is what you accomplish in the time given during your life. And maybe, just maybe, if you're great enough, you'll be remembered forever. Scientists speculate that it's due to no more than half a dozen or so broad reasons, like your DNA can mutate, which gives you cancer, or cell division, 
your cells divide, and sometimes they stop dividing. And this results in conditions like Parkinson's. But there are like six, half a dozen reasons for death, reasons that we age. And a lot of these really look, they look like technical problems that we could solve. Let's imagine we beat death. We've defeated aging. What does that look like? Well, for one thing, you wouldn't be immortal. By some estimates, you'd probably live to be around 6,500 years old. That's how long it would take for some freak accident to befall you, like a piano falling on your head, um, or you tripping and falling off the side of a cliff. Alright, so when might we see the end of aging? Well, we actually don't have to get all the way there, because once we, once life expectancy grows at more than one year per year, we're there. Because every single year, your life expectancy grows a year. So you're really not getting any closer to death. Take me for example, I'm only 22 years old, and yet I have so many things I want to do in this life, so many accomplishments I want to have, I know there's no way I'll be able to accomplish it in this lifetime, unless technology allows me to be really productive. So... At no point do I want to live forever though, but I do want to choose the moment and manner of my own death. And I think that's one of the goals. We want to face death on our own terms. You want to live until you can say what Julius Caesar said. I have lived long enough in both years and in accomplishments. So in our quest to overcome death, we may have the same basic errors as Gilgamesh. Each time we think we found the plant that's going to give us eternal life, the snake comes away and snatches it away. Because while the percentage of people who hit 100 years old continues to rise, the number of people who reach age 125 stays at zero. We have yet to have anybody reach that far. So who's to say we haven't just made it more accessible for people to grow old rather than actually eliminating the death as a whole? It may just be true that complex systems may be unperfectible. Craig Venter, a biochemist, and he's also the man responsible for getting the genome first sequence, he doesn't think we're going to beat aging. He says, I don't think we're ever going to get there. I know a little bit more about biological reality. What I have argued, if you want to be immortal, do something useful in your lifetime. That's exactly what Gilgamesh argued. Do something useful in your lifetime, and if, you, if it's good enough, humanity will remember you forever. The fourth age sounds really awesome. We'll defeat disease, poverty, hunger, and however unequal to the distribution of wealth, we're gonna have a world that has so much plenty and abundance that even those with the least, they'll even have abundance. Despite that, we hear all the time in the news and from around the world that people are nervous about the future. Over and over again, when polled about their likelihood of being murdered or their house being broken into, people overestimate the actual odds. And many people blame the media for this. But there's still some things that can go wrong in our fourth age. Challenges like biology. Because there's little that's going to stop someone from bio bioengineering a pathogen. With stuff like CRISPR engineering technologies being so inexpensive that there are even $100 kits for elementary school students to, to modify yeast. We might see problems like genism. Because what if you could go to a doctor and upgrade your genome for a price? That's not even the end. Stuff like antibiotic resistance, climate change, overpopulation, a massive solar flare, there's water shortages, rogue nuclear states, we've got crazy world leaders, dysfunctional government, distorted news, custom-made facts, and there's intolerance aplenty. 
We've got terrorism, income inequality, refugee crises, and religious extremism. Lots of problems, lots of ways for humanity to go wrong. It's enough to make even me an optimist start to get a little pessimistic and get a couple goosebumps. But when we take a step back and realize that the list of everything that can go wrong is so paltry compared to what humans have overcome on our road from savagery to civilization, I get grateful again, grateful for all that we've done, grateful for what we have and hopeful for what the future is going to be. The pale blue dot will be our last discussion for today. In 1977, NASA launched the Voyager 1 and sent it out into the vastness of deep space. By 1990, the probe was almost 4 billion, with a B, miles away from Earth. At the time, the astronomer Carl Sagan somehow convinced NASA to turn the rocket around to get a glimpse of Earth. The result is a photograph called Pale Blue Dot. Pale Blue Dot is a single tiny dot which is hard to spot, and it's the only object visible in a vast canvas of black. What it shows is that all of our fates are intertwined in a profoundly deep way. In are a million divisions of us and them, they're really absurd when viewed against the endless canopy of darkness that we all reside in. We all fight each other and have these constant reasons to separate ourselves from others, coming up with differences, reasons that we're not the same. But in the vastness of space, we're all one very tiny speck, and all of these problems we create have absolutely no meaning. Jack Kennedy summarized our coming together as a humanity really well. Our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this planet. We all breathe the same air, we all cherish our children's future, and we are all mortal. That is where we stand right now. We're at the beginning of a great new age, the fourth age, which is giving us amazing new powers that we can use to better the lives of every single person on the planet. It's in our collective best interest because if people sleep peaceably at night in their own bed every night, and if everyone has good health and real opportunity, then the social problems we struggle with, the last vestiges of our savagery and greed, they're gradually going to vanish. One of the theories for why we haven't detected alien life in a universe that really by statistics should be overflowing with life uh, is perhaps intelligence is always, almost always self-destructive. Carl Sagan, the same man that had the idea for the pale blue dot, he put forth an interesting idea. Maybe in developing interstellar communications, civilizations came to a fork in the road where they either destroy themselves within a century or they learn to control their self-destructive behaviors and live on for billions of years. If Carl Sagan's right, then we're at this, this point, this fork in the road where we decide, are we going to quickly and effectively eliminate all humans from the universe? Or are we going to go on to have billions of years of abundance. Humans are always able to creatively come up with crazy ideas. Ideas like flying cars and picture screens and having the ability to order a car, come to your house, and then drive itself anywhere. All of these crazy ideas that we have eventually come to fruition. And that's a cycle that's going to continue. As we continue to have crazy ideas, a decade later we'll be able to solve them. And ideas that were once regarded as crazy aren't crazy anymore. And our modern world is always on this trajectory to achieve them. And when we achieve them, we always come up with more crazy ideas. And that's going to repeat 
until one day we wake up and find that we can't imagine a world any better than the one we live in. I hope it'll happen. I feel like humans are always going to be creative enough to come up with a new thing, a new idea, a new crazy idea, but maybe someday we just find this perfect world we live in. And if that's the case, it wouldn't be a utopia which stands for a place that doesn't exist or no places. Instead, we should define it as a very utopia, which means a real place, a place that we can all work together to build. Thank you for joining me on this journey through the fourth age, and I can't wait to experience it with you. We're all here through artificial intelligence, robotics, and automation. It's our decision whether we use these powers to continue to increase our productivity and make humans have a better life for everybody, or if we take these next couple hundred years to destroy ourselves and end humanity's spreading itself through the cosmos. Join me tomorrow as we find a new book or topic to explore for collaborative artificial intelligence. Oh,